You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. We have some odd texts to read today, but I feel very certain that God has given me two sermons to preach today. So, aren't you all happy you came today? Two sermons. Something happened yesterday that was so subtle and not obvious that it caught me completely by surprise. And the Lord has been talking to me ever since. So I want to read quite a few verses here, maybe like 20, 22 verses here. Strange. And then I want to talk to you for a little bit. God's doing something, and I believe God has a word for you, especially if you're here this morning thinking that your best years are behind you. I feel like this is for you. This is for you. It's for everybody. But if you have the sense that your best years are behind you or you've peaked, that doesn't necessarily mean you're moving up in age. That could be somebody who's in their 30s. You think you've done your best. And now the rest of life is sort of maintaining or going downhill. This is for you. Two selections from the book of Revelation. (gasps) Here we go. You ready? Revelation chapter 7 first. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, And called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So only the sealed will not receive harm. And there's not many people who are sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Gad, 12,000 from Asher, 12,000 from Naphtali, 12,000 from Manasseh, 12,000 from Simeon, 12,000 from Levi, 12,000 from Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold, everybody say behold. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, which represent the four gospels, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. That's one text. Simple, very easy text, self-explanatory. Next, we're going to go backwards in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, everybody say behold. 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits or messengers or pastors of God sent out to all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, or the four gospels, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Whew, so much. And they sang. It's so, it's so different when you read the Bible out loud than when you read it by yourself. If you want the Holy Spirit to really knock you off your feet, don't read the Bible quietly only. Stand up, even if you're by yourself, and read it out loud. Because I'm telling you, every time I read it out loud here, I race back to my office after service and write down a whole bunch of things that I hadn't already seen before. There's something, even in the book of Revelation, it says, read it out loud. Have your phone read it to you. It's the only time you're ever going to hear me say this. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The word of the Lord. We're in this series called There's Going to Be a Revival in the Land. And we're calling it Revive All because revival is not meant for an individual, but is meant for the communities in which individuals live. Last week, we said that revival is recognizing that you could be in a season where you are producing a lot of fruit in your life. You are productive, it's working, you can measure the results of your hard work. You can see it coming in hot. And then there are other seasons where the best you can do is survive. Anybody know those seasons a little bit? Where to get to the end of the day in one piece without having murdered anybody is a huge success. And we said that revival is recognizing that whether you're thriving or you're just barely getting through and surviving, you are being prosperous. You're being prosperous. If you're not producing fruit, the Bible said, and please listen to the message from last week, even if you're not producing fruit, it's the leaf on the tree that brings healing to the nations. So even if no fruit is growing off of you in this wilderness season in your life, people come into contact with the broken you, the dry you, the wilderness you, the you that's exhausted, tired, nothing's being produced, they come into contact with you, they're going to be healed. So whether you are producing or whether you're not producing anything, you are still living in prosperity. Knowing that is the beginning of revival. Today, I have two sermons wrapped up into one. And I found it interesting that whoever does the Book of Common Prayer in the morning noticed that in the epistle for this morning, it was the story where Paul preached so long that a young child fell out the back of a third-story window, fell to his death, and then Paul went out and raised him from the dead and kept on preaching. It made me feel good because here's the thing. I will not preach that long. And nobody is on the third story. If Ian falls out of the balcony, I trust in the Lord that he will be raised from the dead. 
It's very dangerous when that is the opening text for a pastor on a Sunday morning. You could preach so long that people die of boredom, raise them from the dead, and then not close, but keep on preaching. Like, praise the Lord. That's revival. Sermon 1 began after Sermon 2 was finished, because that makes sense. After work day yesterday, I took Tim Bynum and Ian's Rodlowski's, and we went and got pizza. I see that hand. You could put it down. I did say pizza. It is a big surprise. Every time I eat it, it's a big surprise. And so being the pastor slash person in a good mood who's also very social, I opened with, Tim, what's the worst thing going on in your life right now? And Tim told us, and we promised to pray for him. And then I turned to Ian, and I said, Ian, how would you feel if at 9.50 on a Sunday morning, I, asked, I said, dude, you have to preach. And Ian said, I would need to change my shorts. Because for some reason, Ian wears shorts to church on Sundays, which is something else we have to talk about. Just kidding. Then I said, what if instead of telling you needed to preach, I told you to give your testimony? And he said, I'd be able to do that. Okay. That's all I was bargaining for. I just wanted to try to make them nervous and uncomfortable at the table. Tim says to Ian, what's your testimony in a nutshell? So Ian begins talking about all these things that God did, starting with his father dying when he was one and his mother Sandy realizing that the church she was going to, this church, is so strong and has such quality men in it that it was better for her to stay here with the men of this church than to move back home where both sides of the family were because of the quality of the care that was already existing in this place. And Ian said at the table, I don't feel gypped because I had a lot of dads. And Ian's a show-off because that's only part one of his testimony. As he's talking about what happened, and you can ask him to give you more details uh, with a sickness he had in his liver and how he needed a liver transplant and what the Lord was doing, uh, in the hospital at the time, uh, he had already met Carrie, and she was visiting him every night. As he was, and I'm not lying to you right now, I, I know I'm the kind of person who once in a while, in a teensy little bit, I tend to exaggerate. I'm probably not going to do that today. Probably. I was sitting there listening to him, and not in a disrespectful way, I went off into a trance. I went off into the clouds. And in sitting at Sal's Pizza in Fishgill, I was sitting there, and I was no longer in the room for a very brief amount of time. And I was standing face-to-face -face with what I knew to be God. And I was hearing Ian, like, in the background. And I said, Lord... Why is my testimony not that dramatic? Yes, I've done some dumb things. 
But I wasn't saved out of addiction, deep immorality, disease, tragic death, like many of you were. Some immorality, but not deep immorality. And the Lord gave me a crystal clear answer in that moment. That's going to be sermon one in a second. But I need to preach sermon two first. So that's the introduction to sermon one. We're going to preach sermon two, then I'll finish sermon one. Sermon two. Jesus is both the God whose eye goes to and fro on this earth. And please, we are going to take such a hard right turn right now that it's possible to get whiplash and hurt your neck. But just trust me. Do you trust me? Trust me. Jesus is both the God whose eye goes to and fro all over the earth and sees everything. And he is also the word made flesh. So he is the God who sees And he is the God who speaks. Which means we are called to be people who see and people who hear. These two texts, the first one in Revelation 7, that is the lectionary text for today. The second one, I added alongside it because those two texts, Revelation 7 and Revelation 5, are the most dear, important testimonial moments of my life when I began, and and I didn't see anything new, when I began to see what already existed, that many, many, many millions of pastors have known, it started to change the way that I read the Bible, and it started mostly to change the way that I read myself. So these two texts, Revelation 7 and Revelation 5, are the most foundational to who I am as a minister. And a Bible preacher. In Revelation 5, there's a scroll that nobody could open. And John hears, everybody say hears. John hears an angel or an elder say, the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered can open the seal. So he heard two things. Lion and conquered. Do we agree? But when he turned around to see what he heard, he saw a lamb that had been slain. He heard lion, and he turned and saw a lamb. He heard conquered, And turned and saw slain. We tend to react off of what we hear or off of what we see. But we never meditate long enough for both to happen. When you hear only and you don't take time to see, you will make a rash decision. When you see only and you don't take time to hear, you will make a rash judgment about you or somebody else. It is in the seeing and in the hearing that truth is born. I heard lion. I saw lamb. I heard conquered. I saw 
slain. There, is, there are 25 weeks of things to preach about this. But in 25 minutes, one thing that I wrote down was, he heard a lion, but he saw a lamb, to remind those of us who are overworking, trying to win at all costs, trying to come out on top, trying to beat our past, trying to be our best self, trying to be better than other people, trying to overcome our own sins, trying to overcome our own grief, trying to be better parents, trying to be better grandparents, trying to work hard so we can retire, then trying to figure out who we are in retirement. All of that pace and speed and sprinting that lions do, you can rest because you're called to be a lamb, not a lion. It speaks to rest for today. Well, pastor, I don't know. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But listen to what happens. Isaiah prophesies for it. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. So look what's happening. The more predatory analogy, the lion, is at the end of time becoming more like the lamb. The lamb is always being itself. God, I'm just begging Jesus, let them hear this. The lion, as time goes on and as Jesus restores the earth, always becomes more like a lamb. But the lamb never becomes more like a lion. It stays exactly who it always was. To the point where a child could play with a lamb the same way now it could play with a lion. So whatever is in us that feels competitive all the time, it's exhausting us. And mostly competitive against our own self. Most of us spend most of our time trying to outdo the self that we wish we weren't. And the Holy Spirit is saying, turn and see a lamb. Calm down. Walk humbly. Walk slow. But I heard conquered. But when you turned, you saw slain. This means that we don't need to punish. We don't need to seek vengeance. How many know the verse? Vengeance is, and there's two ways to read that. One terrible way and one good way. Vengeance is, saith. So God is saying vengeance is mine. And what we think that means, what we think that means is that what I want to do to take vengeance God will do if I don't do it. So they stole from me. Instead of me stealing from them, I'm going to say, God, you steal from them. And God is like, thought you'd never ask. And he goes and steals from them. But that's not what it's saying. He's saying vengeance is mine, meaning what vengeance means is mine. I get to define what vengeance is. And it's not getting back by inflicting pain. It's getting back by showing mercy and grace so there could be healing. Do you see that? Later on in Revelation, it'll say that upon the sinners will come the wrath of the Lamb. Not the wrath of the Lion. Well, what does the Lamb represent all through your Bible? Forgiveness. Mercy, deliverance. 
the wrath of the lamb. Well, God, here's the thing. When you're coming after my enemies, can you please come after them with the wrath of the lion? And God's like, yeah, the lion from the Wizard of Oz, not the kind of lion that you think. <laughs> vengeance is his. Doesn't mean, God, you take what I want vengeance to be and you do it. Vengeance is mine, say it the Lord, means let me redefine what vengeance even is for you. It's not what you want it to be. Well, why isn't it what I want it to be? Because you're not fully restored yet. But when you're fully restored, you'll be happy that vengeance is actually healing and forgiveness. We exhaust ourselves trying to live well to get back at people who are trying to keep us from living well. Let me rephrase that whole thing. We exhaust ourselves trying to live well to get back at people who we think mostly wrongly don't want us to live well. You never know what's going on in the life of somebody else when you think they're after you. More than likely, they're not after you. They're after the self that they don't want to be. Just like you. Okay. Hold on. Sermon one might help when we get back to it. He heard the number 144,000. Ever have this group come to your door? And it wasn't just 144,000, Salem. You've got to read this very carefully. It was 144,000 of the same ethnic group of people. If this is what heaven ends up being, then racism was never wrong to begin with. There's me being dramatic, but I'm right. Because it was a, the sealed were 144,000 all from one group of people. We read it. Are you with me? But when he turned to look at the 144,000, what did he see? After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and from every language. I heard 144,000 Israelites, and when I turned to see what that looked like, I saw an infinite amount of people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue sealed. Tell them that when they come to the door next time. Don't tell them that. Offer them a cookie and say, thank you for coming to my door. That's what you should do. That was a test. Anybody who clapped failed. What does this mean? This means that God first let John hear, he first let him hear a closed-off, gated community group, an elitist group, a, a, a group that's us for no more. Have you heard that? And when he turned to confirm 
He saw the opposite of that. Why would God do it that way? Because God wants to take our notions of elitism and closed-offness and exclusivity, and he wants to smash it on the ground and realize there is no group called Christianity. It is God's desire for everybody. And if you feel that you are on the outside theologically, Pastor, I haven't been moral. I haven't been a good dad. I haven't been a good mom. I've made a lot of mistakes. I was involved in things I shouldn't have been involved in. And you feel that you're on the outside theologically. If socially you feel that the world you live in favors one kind of person over another kind of person, and you don't feel that you ever get to walk with the understanding and the benefit of the doubt that other people that look like me get to walk around with every day. This verse is saying that you are not on the outside and that when the kingdom of heaven has its way, that nonsense, and I picked the word nonsense very carefully just now because I want to say other stuff, that nonsense, not only will it not be tolerated in heaven, it won't exist. It will not exist in the world that God is recreating. That's why it's our work. That's why it is our work to make sure that we are diverse in all the areas, not just skin tone, but in our theology, in our experiences, in our age, in what we're involved with in life, because heaven is not a 144,000 of one kind. It is a multitude innumerable from every kind of place, language, tongue, and nation. Amen? But you are not on the outside. And if you feel that you are on the outside relationally, I'm the 144,001 person just outside. Understand this. From the book of Hebrews. So Jesus also suffered where? Outside the gate. In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him where? Outside the camp. And bear the reproach he endured. Jesus saw the 144,000. He saw the elitist group. He saw the privileged group. He was cast out by the privileged group. And it's there that we go to meet him, not in a gated community where everybody is. You're not outside of anything when Jesus is around. On the flip side, if you see that you're a lamb, you need to hear that you're blessed. If you look at your life and say, I am slain, you need to hear the Spirit say, no, you're not. You're only sleeping. It's not what you think it is. You're not as beat up as you think you are. You're not as down and out as you feel. What you're dealing with isn't as impossible as it feels it is. You're slain, but not the kind of slain where your life is over. The kind of slain where you're about to wake back up and you're about to take people with you in that waking up. It's that kind of slain. So sermon one, 
my testimony. Why did we have to go through all of that to share what is what I thought yesterday was a boring testimony? I said it to the guys at first. I said it to them. I was like, woof. Ian gave his. I know a lot of Tim's. I'm like, what's mine? Here's my testimony. My parents are alive. They stayed together. So this is what I'm saying to the Lord in my trance. Mine's not dramatic. And I said, you know, my parents are both here and they stayed together and they fought. Sometimes broke. Sometimes with one car. Sometimes with three and none of them worked. (laughs) Sometimes arguing and having a rough patch in their marriage. Sometimes dealing with internal issues. Stayed together. Fought through it. Brought me to church every Sunday. Brought me and my two bratty sisters to church every single Sunday. Dealt with us at church every single Sunday. To the point where I learned the category where I've heard people say here, you know what, I'm not going to bring my kids today because I'm just going to be out in the foyer. Let me tell you something. When you walk up onto this property, whether you're in this room or you're standing out on that sidewalk, you have entered a holy space. And so whether those kids are in this sanctuary or they're sitting in your car with you in that parking lot and you got them here, something happened to them that they will take with them for the rest of their entire life. For the rest of their entire life. It's the fight. And as I was saying this to the Lord in this trance I was in, not ignoring Ian, but being taken up in the spirit of his testimony, I started to realize, oh my goodness, because Now, I've been married for 13 years. I've been with my wife for 18. We have two kids. Money's tight. And now I'm like, how did they do this with me? Like, my kids are fairly good. Sophia, mm, but, you know. (laughs) Me and my sisters were nuts. Absolutely bonkers. My poor mom. Like, when, like, you don't know, but now that I know what a day takes in a healthy, good, stable environment, it's like, no, 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 I have a rock and baller testimony of mom and dad who made it work, and it's never easy to make it work. I fall off the radar, and my brother and his wife invite me over their house. And give me a manipulative ultimatum. You like our food? Yes. My brother's like, this is cool. We should strike up a relationship again. That'd be awesome. Come to church and we can. Don't. A home going through its own stuff had room, space, and time. Probably room that it didn't have, space that it didn't have, time that it didn't have, money that it didn't have, but it had a place for me at that table for years. Because something more important than just trying to get through the day was operative in my house growing up and in Frank and Jen's house when I was there. Something more important than the, the wrestlings of the day. A placing of Jesus to the best of their ability at the center of their home and all the room that that takes up. Find out this girl in the church likes me. Her name's Jacqueline. She went after me. You laugh. I'm one of the few people where this is true. This is true. 
I'm saying this on record. Granted, she's not here right now. That's besides the point. My, at the time, future mother-in-law, she would pray for me. She would tell me, God is preparing somebody for you. I was getting to know them through new believers class and baptism class. And I march right up to my father-in-law and say, hey, I want to date her. Is it okay with you? Thinking I just checked off all the boxes. And he said no. (laughs) Wait six months, he says. Why? Because if this is real, you'll still like her in six months. If it's not, I'm glad you waited. You know what? Laugh, yes, but here's the thing. My gosh, my tongue is loose in the name of Jesus right now. Here's the thing. I wasn't ready for somebody like Jacqueline and who she was raised by those parents. And I needed somebody to put me in my place. I needed somebody to chisel me out. I needed somebody to say, you don't get to do this how you want to do it. I needed stable feeling. Now, now I'm sitting here not even looking over there right now while I'm saying all this because I can hear my mother-in-law's thoughts. You don't, it wasn't as good as he's making it out to be. We go through stuff. We have our issues. We have our ups and downs and all that kind of stuff. But here's the reality. It's fight. It's order. Not the order where everything is great and pristine all the time. The order that says in our best days and in our worst days, Jesus stays on the throne, period. And whatever preferences, and whatever money we lose, and whatever time we lose, and whatever our kids can't go out and do on Saturdays and Sundays because we have to bring them to where their soul will be saved, we're going to do it. And we're going to deal with the fallout of doing it, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and kids don't understand while it's happening. Listen, when I was running, when I was running, this is the part where people fall asleep and fall down and die, and I'll raise you from the dead. When I was running the youth group, I know Ruthie's here. When I was running the youth group, these, the, the George and Cheryl's kids, the ones that were in high school, they would come to youth group in their soccer uniforms, sometimes grass stains, like they were in like Harriman. And they would have to still come to youth group after soccer. And, they'd be, and then they had to do their homework at the highest possible level. And they would be like, why? Because George and Cheryl were saying Jesus stays on the throne. And it was hard. And there's fallout. And if they could redo some of it, I'm sure they would take some methods here and there, my parents too, me already as a dad. And of course we would adjust, but the heart of all of that would not change. I start trying to find jobs because, I don't know, my father-in-law's like, you have to be able to provide for her, right? And so I'm just taking it easy, man. I I was so good at finding work. Now listen, Sermon 2 matters here, okay? So don't forget about Sermon 2. Lambs and slain and 144,000 and all this kind of stuff. I'm I'm getting there. Taking you around a little bit. What we're doing is we're giving Grady and Courtney time to teach our kids about baptism downstairs. So this is actually a labor of love that I'm preaching so long. It's not because I want to. It's because I love people. I was just getting by, doing 
just enough to make just enough to not have enough to move out. I come here one day for a funeral, and Stuart Walker stands up to speak about his father who had just passed. And Stuart says, didn't know what to do, so I decided to follow my father's footsteps work-wise. I took over his book of business and started selling insurance. Super reductionistic summary of what he said. And I was sitting right in the middle of this section when he said it. And the Holy Spirit said, you ready to go get a career? You know, my response was, yeah, I'm going to be a pastor, right, God? God's like, no. Nope. (laughs) Definitely not right now. I went and said, well, what did my dad do? My dad, like Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman, literally went door-to-door selling insurance forever. Dude could sell snow to Antarctica. Sell a Bible to Jesus, probably. That's a sale. That's a sale. Always be closing. So I didn't want to sell. (laughs) But I wanted to use some rhetorical skill to argue and debate because I feel like I'm pretty good at that or at least making you think I'm right. I'm I'm actually better at debating when I'm wrong. Huh. Just realized that just now. Anyway. Anybody remember the movie, the show Family Matters with Urkel? My, my goal for footing was I'm wearing you down, baby. I am wearing you down. Like, that's it. If I could get you tired, I'll win. So I joined the claims department where apparently you get to argue for the liability of a car accident. I've never been so excited that people were in car accidents in my entire life. I got to argue every day. And I walked in, I got the job, and I said to them on my interview, I'm going to work here until I become a pastor. I'm all in. And it was a very proud day. June 2nd of 2017 when I went in and said to my boss, Nick, can we talk? He said, why? I said, let's talk in your office. He said, are you becoming a pastor? I said, I am. And he gave me a hug and said, congratulations. Why? Why did it happen that way? I got promoted two or three times. Again, my testimony isn't like this crazy stuff, but what happened was, you ready? All all of this to say, stable families in earthquakes that are stabilized by the grace of God held on to my life and didn't let go. Stuart's story, he... That day wasn't about me at all. I was the farthest person from his mind. But all he was doing was saying, this is what God told me to do, and I did it. And as he's telling that story, the Holy Spirit's saying, same for you. I have, you're here to hear what he just said. Get it together so that you could go back to your father-in-law and ask for this beautiful girl's hand in marriage and not embarrass yourself. I could go. Jacqueline. You know her. (laughs) Early on in dating, I'm not going to date somebody who doesn't tithe. I've told you this story. Why? 
Because if you can't handle money, I can't trust you with my heart. Thanks, George and Cheryl, for teaching her so well. (laughs) For teaching her what it means to wake up on Sunday and take the first portion of what you made that week and give it to the Lord. To say, everything I have is because of you. And I don't want what I have to have me. I want you to have the first portion of my time. That's why I'm coming to church. Of my money. That's why I tithe. And of my talent. That's why I serve. It was written on her life because it's been written on their lives for her entire life. And now she's over here. Now here's the funny thing. She did like me first. She did pursue me first. This is true. And I say it to her credit. Jacqueline, hello. I pray that you are okay at home with our two children who are sick. I say all that to say she would have walked away from me like that. Liked me wanted to be with me, would have walked away from me if it meant our relationship violated the basic standards that were written into her life. This is what held me together. I could go on and on. There's so too many of you just even in this room today. On and on. So what is this? What, as I was hearing all of this while Ian was talking, and I'm so glad Ian is long-winded, he said, he said I'll, I would give my testimony, but it would be long. While he was saying this, all of a sudden, I started to see myself saying this today. And I remember, I, I looked at Tim and I said, something just happened, you're going to know tomorrow. And what happened was, I saw myself doing this, and I began to hear, now I want you to think as individuals, now, close your eyes. Don't fall asleep, though. I began to hear the groans as I delivered this very basic, very vanilla testimony of just being blessed enough to wake up and live a life of stability around stable people. I started to hear groans. And I started to hear sounds that sounded like, I can't go back and redo what I didn't do. I'm too busy for that. I'm afraid to disappoint my children. I don't know what the fallout would be if I took a stand in my home. We don't have the money to offer. My, as I said before, my best years are behind. Pastor, this is a great little testimony you have. But man, when I hear it, I'm convicted. But I wish I heard it 35 years ago. And I felt like that's when the two sermons connected and the Holy Spirit said, some of you see the aging process, but you need to hear God call it wisdom. It's seeing and it's hearing. Some of you see the body breaking down, but what you need to hear is that God is anointing you. Some of you see, Pastor, I'm disconnected from today's generation. I don't know how to speak this language. Every time I open my mouth, I can tell this sounds dated. And what God is saying is, I'm going to give you tongues to speak in that can relate to anybody you're talking to, whether it's age, 
language, people, nation, or tongue. Listen to me, Salem. Yesterday at work day, this is not a critique of anybody who wasn't there. Walk this tightrope with me. Yesterday at work day, John Powell fixing our snowblowers and our lawnmowers. Been here a long time. I asked him the other day at his house, when did you come? And the story started like back in 1968, and I was like, whoa, okay, this is about to be a story. Stuart Walker, trimming those nice little hedges over there. No one is allowed to touch those hedges but Stuart Walker. He's the one who told us that. <laughs> Eric Orquist Sr., up on the roof. I heard him yell, oh, there's a beehive up here, ha, 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 and laugh. I was like, ah, like, I'm out. He's up there like, oh, it's fun, let me take you with my bare hands and get honey out of it or whatever, like. My father-in-law, pulling weeds. Bill Bernasconi came to work day. Organizing files. Actually found a guest book that had the signature from February 13th, 1983 of George and Cheryl when they came for the first time. I'm not remembering every single person who was there, but what I'm saying is this, Salem, the group of people that started this church are still the group of people holding it up. You know why? Because you might see getting old, but God says, I see strength upon strength upon strength. You might see I've run out of time, but I'm the timeless one. You might hear 144,000, but turn around. I'm going to show you something that's so beyond what you heard. You might have seen something, but turn around. I'm going to tell you something about what you've seen that's so much more beyond than what you could ever imagine. What does this have to do with each other? Here's what it has to do with. We are so busy trying to get through that we forget we're supposed to do it together. Simple as that. We are so busy trying to survive another day that we forget we're supposed to be doing this together. If you're unstable, there are stable families here. If you're stable, it's because people are not stable and they need you right now. Because one day, that earthquake will shift. But we're seeing, and we're hearing, and we're judging our lives, and we're judging our past, and we're not putting the two together. I saw a lion because God's going to tear up his enemies and devour them. Turn around. It's actually a lamb, and he's going to be devoured for them. I saw 144,000, and I'm going to be one of them. Turn around. All those neighbors you don't like are coming. <laughs> Every one of them. Even that guy. <laughs> going to be there with you. I heard conquered. And I said, yes, we're going to get back at people. And I turned, and I saw death somehow gaining victory over death. You might, you ready? We'll close with this. <laughs> what do you see? Boring, 
may be stale. Unleavened, not a lot of carbs. Broken pieces of bread. What do you hear? This is what? My body broken for you. Oh, I see something that has no dignity, no impressive quality, and worse than all that, it's broken. It's not even put together. And then the master of the universe stands over and says, this is my body broken for you. Imagine all we did was see, but not hear. This isn't even a snack. What's this going to do for me? <laughs> Nothing. It's useless. But if all we did was hear, this is my body, but we didn't see, we would imagine something way more glorious on the table than this, and we would miss it because it would be this. But when you see and hear, watch what happens. He looks at this broken bread and says, this is my body broken for you. But after you take it, do you know what he does? He then looks at you, all of the brokenness here. And what does he call the church? The church is the so he looks at this and says, ah, broken bread. This is my body. Broken for you, church. And then he looks at you. And he says, you are my body. Broken for the world. All your brokenness. All of the misjudging you're doing over your own life. All the disappointments. All the mistakes. All this kind of stuff. All the wish I could go backs. And he's saying, I'm taking all of it. And it is for the healing of the world. You will only ever minister out of your brokenness. You will never minister out of anything else more than you will minister out of your brokenness. You don't minister in spite of your brokenness. You don't minister, you know, saying like, I'm going to put my brokenness on hold. And I'm No, no, you only minister from the limp, from the wound, from the place of grace where life pierced you, and now Christ is moving through that wound. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we begin to move from this season into a new year in a few weeks, I pray as Salem Tabernacle continues to adjust and move into the reality that the world is in now. I pray that we would hear and see who we are. And that the things that so easily seem to limit us in our lives... I pray that we would take some moments this week to pause over those things and realize they are not limitations, but they are the portals through which you're working in our life. Whether that limitation is time, 
whether that limitation is things done or things left undone, you hold our world in your hand. And by our world, you hold every minute of our life in your hand. We might see limitation, but when we turn, all we will see is limitless possibility. God, I pray that the people who have served here the longest would not feel that the era of this church has passed them by, but that they would know how deeply we appreciate what they've done, but more who they are today and what they are doing for our lives. I pray for anyone who feels that age is now becoming a hindrance, a scary thought. And I would pray that they would hear from you that age would not be a limitation, but it would become a mission, a qualification. All through the book of Revelation, Salem, in both of the texts that I read, it was elders who pointed these things out. Elders who pointed these things out. Those who have lived life a while and have seen the ups and downs and have participated in the ups and downs, it is the elders that look at young John and say, no, 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 turn. There's more than you're seeing. And if you're here and you're looking at age like it's a limitation, you're an elder in the community and it is your anointing to remind people to, it's not what you see, there's more. Slow down, you're supposed to say. You're supposed to remind us to slow down, remind us that every day is not all or nothing, but that we can pace ourselves, that we can move slowly and unhurriedly through life, that the next mistake isn't the defining moment, and the next success isn't the defining moment. We need you in our lives. God, I just pray that everything I'm trying to say would be heard the way it was meant to be heard. Thank you for Tim. Thank you for Ian. Thank you for a simple lunch yesterday. I pray that those simple lunches would happen all through this congregation. That nobody, that nobody would start to look at their busyness and say, this is more important than the body of Christ and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. That there would be a fight in this church to keep first things first. However sloppy, frustrated, tiring, and fatiguing that may be. God, I pray that whatever you gave to my mom and dad to keep us somehow even near this faith, pray that that anointing would be poured over all the families of the church. And whatever was in me, that I did not put there, that somehow buried beneath the rubble of bad decision making, there was an ear to hear, I pray, over our youth 
that the curiosity would be there, that the ear to hear would be there, that the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit would be there, that the hunger would be there, that the thirst would be there. And if they're not participating in you at all, and if they're totally satisfied with what they are participating in, I pray that a holy unease would overtake them, a sense of dissatisfaction, a sense that they're not being fulfilled, and it would point them in the direction of your table and your people. But I pray that we would seriously reevaluate our life, reevaluate where we're at, reevaluate how we're viewing things, and ask you to sweep through our life and let your living water clean the wounds, wash away what is not tethered to the gospel, wash away what is not tethered to the ways of Jesus, and in the pain and suffering of what is washed away, hope that what is remaining is able to be built upon for generations to come, not for a good life now, but for a good life seven generations from now. I pray that that's the kind of church we, that our mission would be that a group of people that we will never see or hear in this lifetime would be celebrating Eucharist at this altar, Father God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you descend on us and make us for the world the body of Christ and that all of our brokenness would not be limitation, but it would be mission this week as we journey back to Sunday. In your holy, precious name, and everybody said. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.